Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Hey y'all, so today we have a very special guest, Mr. Brennan Tony. Brennan has a total lifetime PKC earnings of $53,101. We'll be discussing competition hunting tips and tactics, and also ways that we can ensure a positive and safe hunting experience for the next generation of coon hunters. If there's one thing I can say about Brennan, it's that he's a winner. Heck, he's been beating me since we were about 15 years old. So Brennan will be joining us virtually, so let's go on ahead and get him on the line. Y'all sit back and enjoy. Hey, Brennan, how's it going? Good, man. How are you, Tyler? Oh, I'm good, buddy. I want to say congratulations. I seen where you had a new uh, baby born not long ago. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Taylor and I are blessed. Bradley's got him a new baby sister and couldn't be uh, more happy. Yeah, I bet so, man. You want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I was born and raised South Louisiana. I've coon hunted with my dad from the time I could walk. Brad, he's the one that's got me into it. Yeah, we pleasure hunt together and go to the competition hunts together. And now we got Bradley going with us on. I've been married to my wife, Taylor, now almost seven years. And we have Bradley, who's five, and Bristol, who's one month old currently. I work at a car dealership and try to coon hunt as much as I can. Yeah, you're being pretty uh, humble there when you're talking about your coon hunting career. What are some major events that you've placed in? So I know the resume ain't going to stack up to a lot of people, but... uh. We won the PKC Breeder Showcase in 2012. I made the finals of the PKC World with Homer three years in a row. Uh, we did the top 16 in 2012, top six in 2013, and then reserve world champion in 2014. We won the Mississippi State UKC Hunt in 18 with Homer. Been in the semifinals of Super Stakes, Nationals, Truck Hunts, all the other major events. Let's say it's a week before PKC World, which is, I mean, arguably the toughest week of coon hunting. If you would, please walk me through things you do to ensure your hound stays at peak performance for that week prior to the hunt and until the final day. You know, the week before the hunt, I wouldn't do any drastic changes. Just keep everything the same, consistent on them, no different than I normally would. When you're going to an event like that, endurance and consistency goes a long way you know just know your dog put in as much time as you can also the week before you don't want to overdo it as well people always say it's a trained dog well in my opinion a dog's never trained you're going to train on it till the day it dies consistency is the key just stay on top of them treat every hunt like it's the world hunt and that way you're always prepared for it when it comes around the week up there during the day the key is to take care of your dog and you can't leave the dogs in the dog box to one or two o'clock without feed and water or expect it to perform you're gonna have to get up when the sun starts coming up walk the dog around water it and do that multiple times throughout the day they can't just lay up in a dog box burning up no water and stale but you know if you go off to all these hunts you'll see a lot of that in your experience how big a part does all that play into being successful at a hunt and also do you feel like some dogs handle that pressure a lot better than others I definitely feel the elite dogs handle the pressure much better. Just so, I mean, any average Joe can go out there with just me or you, just one-on-one, just us and the dog and tree a coon. But, I mean, you put three other dogs out there and the pressure zone is totally different situation. You know, and they, everybody says, 
that you judge a man's character is what he's doing when nobody's looking. How I judge a coon dog is what it does when everyone's looking. I mean, when the pressure's on, you know, ain't no telling what a dog's going to do when you line up three other dogs there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that dog that me and Colton owned, that was sister to V. Man, you take her out there by herself, and she would just treat coon after coon after coon. You put her in a cast, and she would just freak out. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's the difference that separates, or one of the differences that separates good dogs and great dogs is they have to be able to perform with three other dogs lined up. I mean, three dogs lined up might be equal good dogs that go their own way, or they might be idiots, and the dog that you're hunting has to have sense enough to just perform like it's out there by itself. Tone deal, takes care of business. So we've got our hounds prepared, we're ready to go. And I know you, you touched on it earlier about acting like every hunt is the world hunt, but can you talk a little bit deeper into that as far as your mental approach to a major event versus a club hunt? So just don't overthink it. You know, you did your homework leading up to it. You know your dog. You know the rules. Don't overthink it. Take it for what it is. The hunt that you're going to that hopefully you're about to win was one the week before while you was laid out past midnight training on the dog. You're just seeing the results now in this hunt. So just keep it simple. Strike your dog. Know what you need. And I had to learn this myself. Every win ain't going to be pretty. If I tree in for 25, you secure the win. You ain't got a tree for 100. It's just win. It ain't got to be a pretty win. So just play the cards that you're dealt and make decisions that make sense. Play the situation to where it benefits you the most. It's a good offense sometimes. is complemented by a good defense. You have to have a little both like i said you know they have to be pretty i think tom brady said it a few years ago just win baby yeah that's it i mean that's all you got to do survive in advance right that's right so because we're talking about it we know there's a ton of different situations that can affect this but what's the difference in your approach when you're leading a cast with 30 minutes left versus losing a cast with 30 minutes left a little bit of it kind of goes back to the last thing we talked about. Just play to the situation. It don't have to be pretty. You know the score that you need. I mean, you already got all the math worked out in your head. I need to strike for this. I need a tree for this. And just play to it. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. I think one of the things that John Wick said is the best way to win a coon hunt sometimes is to avoid the minus column. Most of the time, if you avoid the minus, you'll come out on top. Let's go back to um, using the math. Can you talk a little bit more into that? Uh, just for example, 10 minutes to go in the cast, we just pull all the dogs off a tree and uh, you're winning by 175. I know to beat you, I have to have 200. So what that means is I have to strike for 100 on the next drop to give myself it, a shot at getting 200. If you don't strike for 100, the chance of getting 200 is gone and there's no way to win it. You just have to know the math, where you need to be as far as the strike and tree column, how to play it all out. So you would say it was extremely important to be able to keep that score in your head. Right. As the other handler, if you're the one that's winning the cast by 175, you know going into this next drop that if I strike wedge for 100, then there's no way Brendan can strike for 100 to get his potential 200. By striking for 100, you seal the cast up. What rule do you feel like you use to your advantage the most during a hunt and how? I mean, none specifically comes to mind other than being well-rounded enough to know which one you need to use, when, where, why. But I do yeah. have an example. Okay. One time, and you know, this ain't bragging on myself or anything, but just being sharp at the moment. So this was back in 2013 at the PKC Senior Showdown Truck Hunt, uh, Lula, Mississippi. Uh, I'm hunting a dog named Boss. 
you know, everybody at this is top 64 in the country. So, I mean, you're hunting against the best of the best. We go back around Cenotopia to hunt and we cut loose. The dog I'm hunting has a hundred and a hundred on a circle tree. The other three dogs hasn't barked yet. So I pull off my circle tree, recut, everything gets struck. My dog goes back to the same tree. Now, PKC, if you're handled at that tree three times, you're scratched. I just handled my dog for a second time. We pulled off my tree, recut. He goes back again for the third time. When this dog goes back to the tree the third time, the other three dogs on the cast joined in and all started treeing with them. So now all four dogs is on this tree. And the judge applies the stationary rule to us. What that is, is dogs that are barking treed or not moving from an area has six minutes to be declared treed or will be scratched. So keep in mind, I'm about to be scratched for going back to the tree the third time. The stationary is currently on all four of them. Well, I'm playing. I know my only shot at winning. And I tell the judge, you know, let me know with two seconds left on this tree so I can tree my dog. And he counted down three, two, one, six minutes is up. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I just won this cast. And the three other handlers had a combined earnings of about 300000 I mean, it's top, best of the best. And he said, how do you figure? I said, well, we all four just got scratched. Instead of me getting scratched for returning to the tree the third time, we all four got scratched for the stationary. All four of our dogs was treed, and none of us treed them. So all four of us were scratched, and I won the cast because I was winning at the time with 200 circle. So I was able to advance to the next round of the truck hunt that way. That's pretty good. Get scratched and still win. How come yeah, the I mean, other guys was... didn't treat their dog? Would they have been minus? No. So I really think I had them uh, played into believing that I was really going to treat that, you know, they're thinking that I'm about to be scratched for returning to the tree. But at the same time, you know, they're not thinking that, hey, the stationary is on us as well. And somebody has to tree or we're all going to get scratched. So, you know, I spoke up, told them my intentions were to tree before the time was up. And that, that was just a bluff. I mean, it was a good game of poker and we uh, we came out on top. And I mean, you have to do that type of stuff. And I mean, that's not right. I mean, you have to use the rules to your advantage. No doubt. And I mean, you have uh, seconds and minutes to come up with this. Uh, you know, it's not nothing premeditated before the hunt. I mean, you're put on the spot and it's do or die. You have to think on your feet and be sharp at all times. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And it shows, you know, I mean, I guess that's really important for people that are trying to get into competition hunting. That's one thing you need to do is learn the rules before you even go. You've obviously hunted at the largest events possible and have been very successful. You've hunted against all types of dogs and handlers. Tell me, in your opinion, out of these two options, who wins most of the time? Is it A, the average handler with a great dog, or B, a great handler with an average dog? And why do you choose one over the other? In my eyes, competition coon hunting is 50-50. It's teamwork. At certain times, the dog's going to make up for the handler, and at certain times, the handler's going to make up for the dog. So, for example, I hunted a dog at Super Stakes that I've never even heard the dog bark before, and he treated a possum right out the truck. I took 200 minus on it. You know, at that point, well, I guess the dog bailed himself out instead of bailing me out in that instant, but then he turned around and treated three coons. But, I mean, it happens with handlers as well. You know, they strike the wrong dog or treat the dog running, but then the dog bells them out, turns around, treats two or three coons, and vice versa. So I've had it happen before. Dogs get in slick tree and mode, and, I mean, you can't put your finger on it. They're just out acting up. You know, you've made three or four trees on the cast. 
and y'all ain't treated coon yet. It ain't been nothing but slick, slick, slick. So at that point, a good handler would have sense enough to sit back and take a quarter on everything. So you're taking a quarter minus instead of a bigger hit. But I, if I had to pick, I would say the a great handler with the average dog comes out on top more than an average handler with a great dog. You know, specify as far as an average dog, maybe a dog that doesn't really get you in a bind much. You know, right? Sometimes, sometimes a participation dog will actually uh win enough. You know, he participates just enough and participates just less enough to take a big minus or take the big ends of minuses to keep you in the ball game. And you know, a good handler will know that. A good handler is going to know what type of dog he's hunting. If dogs are deep in there and one of them comes treed, a handler knows my dog ain't going to be there, so I'm not going to tree at all. And then the next one knows, hey, my dog will cover. Let me go ahead and tree for 75. But it all plays out to just knowing your dog. Every one of them's different. So, I mean, a great handler that knows an average dog is a tough team. But most of the times, from my experience, a great handler is going to have a great dog because they don't like wasting time. It makes a lot of sense. So you were talking about how you, you had that dog at Super Stakes and you were hunting and you had never heard it bark. How do you do that? How do you handle a dog that you've never heard bark? So, and it's probably being a little judgmental, judging a book by its cover. But so you know that you're lined up with a little walker female, a big black and tan male, and one dog, a walker male that leaves you barking. So you can kind of anticipate by, you know, judging by the dog, the way it looks, what it should sound like. And especially if a dog barks two or three times and nobody claims it, then chances are that's probably the one you're waiting to hear. So it's kind of a process of elimination, I guess, huh? Right. I mean, you know, if you draw a big blue tick male and a little walker female, I mean, you have an idea of what they should sound like. You know, there's exceptions, definitely exceptions, but it gives you a general idea. And especially if a dog barks two or three times and nobody claims it. It's probably yours because otherwise everybody should be antsy to get on the card. I guess another thing would be not to let anybody in the cast know that you ain't never heard that dog bark. Right. I've, I've haunted him since he was a baby. In your opinion, what makes someone a great handler? What separates the elites from the average? It's several things that go into it. You know, the old saying that hard work pays off, that's definitely one of them. You know, it goes back to a couple of other things we talked about. Knowing the rules, the situations, the scenarios, what to do. Know your dog. You need to know the bark that your dog makes. You need to be able to tell what it's doing at all times. And the best way to know that is to get out there, put in the work, stay out with them and learn them and become a team. And, you know, I think if you look at who's winning and what's winning, it's the ones that put in the work. I always believe that sometimes you're going to catch lucky break and the ones that catch the lucky breaks are the ones that's uh, putting in the work is good karma. What are some important tips you can give to some folks that are wanting to get into competition hunting or to the folks that are not very good at competition hunting to become better handlers? So I think $30 lessons are the best option. <laughs> by what I mean by $30 options is... That means you'll day. take all our money $30 at a time, huh? That's right. I mean, that's on the jo- on the job training. It's yeah. it's the best training you can get. You know, you jump into straight into the scenarios and situations. Like back at the truck hunt, you know, somebody would have been tagging along on that cast. Well, well, Brendan, why you didn't treat your dog? Why'd you let the stationary catch you? That's something you can't learn from the rule book. Like I said, on the job training, in my opinion, is the best way to become a better handler, to know the rules, and to get into competition coon hunt. Because at the end of the day, most of us out here, out here having fun, 
we'll answer anything in the woods and you know any questions anybody has you know just put your hands on it and jump straight in and that's the best way to learn in my opinion like you were saying about spectating on the hunt you don't even have to pay the 30 dollars. just find your local club hunt and you know tag right. along see if those guys yeah most like uh anybody's gonna be okay with letting anybody tag along you know at the end of the day it's all for the better and the benefit of the sport moving forward yeah i mean and if they're not okay with somebody tagging along something's wrong right and there's three other guys that'll be there that are okay with it so they'll still be good so do you prefer to raise a dog from a puppy or buy a started dog or buy a finished dog and why so me myself i prefer a started dog i'm not a puppy man i wish like crazy i was but i just ain't between patience and time by the time it's time to start a puppy i've already got tired of it so personal training on that's what i prefer before i waste a bunch of time on a puppy teaching it to lead and load and it might not ever tree so i prefer to go ahead and buy a lightly started when it's already running and treeing and that makes sense you know at least a lightly started when he hasn't had a ton of influence yet right so what traits will you look for in that dog to determine if you can win with it or not? And has there been a common denominator in the hounds that you've handled and owned? And are there any traits that completely turn you off to a hound? So I have a saying, and my dad hates it, <laughs> but I would rather sit on the couch and watch Sports Center before I chase a dog that don't meet the requirements of what I think makes a great dog. So definitely has to have heart. I understand dogs like humans. Some days they don't feel good, but I don't care. I still get up and go to work. I expect you to go and do the same. So, I mean, they got to have heart, consistency, pressure. Any dog can go tree a coon by itself, but you line up three other animals next to it, the cream will rise to the top. Uh, have to be able to take correction. It's no good that if a dog acts up and I can't switch it without hurting its feelings, it ain't for me is going down the road has to have speed i like to listen to a trailing dog but at the same time i'm not going to stay out there two and three hours listening to one boohoo it needs to pick its head up push the track go find a coon and tree and recutting i actually had a little english female back in 2010 she was the definition of a one drop dog cut her loose and we hunted her in three or four pro hunts and she made the semifinals of every one but she was 100 and 100 on a coon out the truck by herself and then did not recast at all. And what I mean by that, she didn't fire in there the same way. And she went from looking to be by herself to looking to cover dogs. So in competition hunting, the hunt can be won in the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes. It does me no good to tree a coon right out here and then Luther or whatever dog I'm hunting don't recut. So, I mean, recutting is a big key. I mean, on that second and third and fourth recut, the night goes on, coons ain't moving as good, you're getting tired, the dog's getting tired. It has to fire in there the same way it did on that first drop. What do you mean by a dog having heart? Can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, so heart goes along with a mixture of things. To me, a dog, coon hunting has to be fun for that dog. It has to live, eat, breathe coon hunting. Dogs are just like us, one to see they're guided or don't. They love to see dark roll around. You know, they're ready to go hunting. They'll hunt all night. Thunderstorm, hurricane, don't matter to them. Just cut me loose. I want to go coon hunt. You know, and there's a, a bunch of weak-hearted dogs. Weak-hearted, you know, can't take correction, can't whip on, run out of energy. Uh, some of them just can't take it. It's kind of like the it factor. You can't necessarily put your hands on it, but some either have it or they don't have it. 
Yeah, and I mean, I can agree. I've never owned one of those, but I've hunted with a few, and it separates them, you know, as far as the drive and everything that you just talked about. It pretty cool. Now, I know your father is a coon hunter, and of course, you're a coon hunter, but I also hear there's another little Tony that might be running the youth circuit in a couple of years. Can you tell me how it's been seeing him getting started into hunting? Yeah, man, he's ate up with it. Matter of fact, we're getting ready here to go hunt a homer puppy here in about an hour as soon as it gets dark. You know, he has his own light, his boots, uh, drives his mama crazy with his coon squalor. He loves it. He takes claim to every dog we got. He loved Homer. Homer was his baby uh, as a nine-year-old puppy. We don't get to go or take Bradley near as much as we'd like. You know, we don't have the best of woods and the best of terrain, um, snakes and cutovers and not really fit for a five-year-old. So he gets to go a whole lot more during the winter. But uh, we still still get him out some during the summer. He loves it. Yeah, so for the folks that are listening out here, you know, you touched on a little bit. that have younger kids and are getting them ready to get started in the sport. What are some of the important things that you've found to ensure it's as positive of an experience as possible for them? Um, just make it fun. You know, if it's not fun, they're not going to want to pick it up and do it. So make it as fun as possible for them and, um, you know, a positive attitude goes a long way. And, you know, as an adult hunting against a younger kid, you know, winning isn't everything. And when I say winning isn't everything, it ain't. You've been around the block a time or two, whatever. You know, just make it fun for these kids. Uh, and what I've also learned hunting and judging against youth calf is, you know, some people like to baby them. But at the same time, I just treat them fair. You can treat them fair by the rules like an adult without babying them because i mean if you're doing favors and being lenient toward the 14 year old you're not really benefiting him any because he's gonna expect and learn differently than when you're 19 years old you didn't minus me for this why are you minusing me for it now so just treat them fair give them a fair shake don't treat them no different whether they're nine or 29 yeah that might be a little bit of what's wrong with the world today huh Right. Uh, participation trophies for everything. And, you know, it's good. You know, I definitely and I'm not completely opposed to it because uh, kids are just like dogs. So uh, with the training, every one of them's different. Uh, one of them might need a participation trophy to get them hooked on it. So I'm not opposed to that. Just uh, be consistent. You, you want them out there every chance they get to learn you know to move forward so they'll learn something they'll have some knowledge to take with them that you know hey mr tyler minus me for this this time so now next time i know not to do this you know you want it to be a learning experience to shape them into better hunters and better handlers and better men i think another thing would be too is if you're judging that cast and you give this kid a break right here but what about with five minutes left, you have to give this other kid a break. Well, then you might just cost this this kid right here the cast because you have to give right. this kid the same break you give this one. Right. right. Uh, that, at that point, it's like Little League Baseball with a with an umpire that messed up and just called a ball a strike, making up for it on the next pitch. Just uh, yeah. stay, stay consistent, and you won't have to worry about making anything up. So it is always great to see young kids getting involved in sport, but we know it's not without its challenges like we've talked about and safety concerns. Can you talk about some of the things that you've done with Bradley and some of the things that you've run into and what did you do to help mitigate them as far as from a safety and challenges standpoint? Yeah. So I always, especially for young kids and 
it probably goes without saying for every person, make sure somebody goes with you. I know myself and a lot of other people like to go hunting by ourselves and have one-on-one time with the dogs. But I mean, the real fact of the matter is there's safety hazards. Anything can happen, fall on a stick or slip in the creek. And that's one other thing that uh, I want to make clear to all the young kids out there and new hunters listening. I mean, I know people that can swim with the best of them. And I would give Michael Phelps the same advice when it's 1030 at night and your dog's treed across a bayou, that dog will be there tomorrow. It's not worth taking a chance and stripping down to your underwear and swimming to get the dog. You don't know what lies beneath. And like I said, I would tell Michael Phelps the same thing. You could be the best swimmer in the world. It don't matter. It's not worth it. The dog will be there later whenever you can get to it. So I always try to make sure that uh, that's definitely a risk that I won't be a part of or anybody with me. You know, we'll find a way around. The dog will be there later. And even if you do go by yourself, at least let somebody know where you're going. I know with my wife, when I go River Swamp by myself, I don't tell her, hey, I'm going to the River Swamp. It's like, no, you text it to them. That way they remember. Right. You know, at least. And say, look, if, I, if you hadn't heard from me by this time, you know, come looking for me. So right. when the folks listen to this, start applying these awesome tips that you've given them and they start winning all the big money at the hunt and get the itch trade in that old truck. You have any tips on where they can go to get that done? <laughs> of course. Uh, I work at Bill Hood Automotive and we have everything under one hood. Um, you dream it, we got it. And We've moved iron all across the United States, probably sold 20 coon hunters from all over, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, sold them all over. You know, I appreciate the guys that have reached out to me in the past that I know through coon hunting. I really appreciate it. He'll do you right. He actually sold me a truck one time. He did a great job and everything was smooth. I will recommend him. You know, if anybody really needs a truck, go over to Bill Hood and see Brennan. I appreciate mm-hmm. it, Tyler. You uh, you was one of the very few people I ever saw walk in there and I just whipped out $70,000 cash for a truck. Uh, I greatly appreciated it. He is lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do the monthly installments. That's all I can afford. <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> so, man, I appreciate you coming on here, and I'm going to let you get on to go hunting, you and Bradley. But And uh, I really do thank you. Is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off, man? A lot of people don't understand this coon hunting world or coon hunting fraternity that we're a part of or whatever you want to call it. We're just old dumb rednecks and coon hunters. But what they don't see is the compassion and the friendships behind it. I mean, you can log on to ProHound or Facebook anytime during the day and there's somebody uh, dealing with something, you know, uh, misfortune, uh, sickness or whatever it might be. And there's thousands of coon owners right there willing to help raising money, raffles, benefits, donations to help somebody they've never even met before. And a lot of times it's somebody that a coon hunter knows that don't coon hunt, but the coon hunting community is still willing to chip in. And it's just awesome. You know, very proud to call them people, my friends and be a part of something like that. You meet some fantastic people going to these hunts. That's probably the most enjoyable thing traveling the road and you meet somebody new catch up with old friends it's just the people that you get to meet top notch from west coast to east coast and everywhere in between Um, some of the best people in the world you know i'd recommend to anybody with a young child or 
you know, themselves if they've never been coon hunting to, you know, go check out ProHound.com or join us on the Southern Cooner group or, or check it out. I mean, it's definitely something worth checking into. It's just a group of a bunch of great guys. You know, some of my closest friends I've met through coon hunting. Great sport. And uh, I'm glad that I've got to grow up in this sport, continue hunting these dogs. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And you're right. It is a fraternity. And, you know, I've noticed doing this podcast that you reach out to people and they are all about it. You know, they all, they want to do anything they can to grow the sport. And I love to see that. I really do. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing is I don't feel like the parents of these young kids gets enough credit. You know, I remember being a kid, um, you know, probably sixth, seventh grade. And it was nothing for my mom and dad to, after school, take me to Monroe or Mobile, Alabama, which both are three hours from my house on a Thursday night, just so I could find a coon hunt to go to on a Thursday night, lay out all night with me. Um, and, you know, some of the most unforgettable summers are PKC Breeder show, uh, Showcase, Aurora, Kentucky, just, I mean, especially come up for the youth program up there. Um, all the parents had their kids up there competing. It's just a great time. Parents definitely play a big role with getting these kids to and from the hunt. They deserve all the credit in the world because without them, you know, there would be no youth getting come to these hunts. You know, I'm sure I'm about to get to pay the favor forward as uh, Bradley gets a little o- older and get to traveling with him. Yeah, I do believe so. I was about to say, well, you're about to get your share of it too. Oh, yeah, it's coming. But hey, it'll be a blessing when it does. No doubt. Well, Brennan, I appreciate your time, and thank you very much, buddy. Yeah, Tyler, thanks for having me, uh, and you're doing a great job with this podcast. Thank you for all you do. I ain't done nothing, man, but I appreciate your kind words. Man, that was a great interview from Brennan. I do thank him for his time. If you like what you heard here, go find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Coon Hunting You. And also, even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could, please go give us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear feedback. That's another thing. Man, it's been heartfelt. All the feedback that I've received since starting this podcast is just overwhelming. It really is. It's been awesome. I love to hear from the listeners. So, like I said, find us on Facebook. Give us a message. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. Thank you all for listening. Y'all have a wonderful day.